Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. How's it going, Derek? Going fantastic. Anything new this week? Uh, Poison Ivy. <laughs> you got Poison Ivy? A little bit. I'm healing up now. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, so there's been concussions. There's been fire burns. Mm-hmm. There's Poison Ivy. Yeah. Am I missing anything? Not really. And, and summer hasn't even really kicked in I yet. I know, I know. I, I, was, I didn't realize it was poison ivy till I my ice was scratching and it's like my forehead got some on it and then my corner of my eye got some my eye all swollen up and it's like what's going on? It's like you got oh, poison no. ivy on your face. Yeah, from because I was scratching my legs and then I scratched wow. my eye. So by the end of summer, I will be looking for a new co-host because Derek will be <laughs> dead. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway. Um, I have a feeling this is going to be a bit of a long show this week, so we're going to get straight into things. We're talking Northwest Passage this week. Mm-hmm. I got a list of things to talk about. Oh, yes. A list. The Northwest Passage. It's a route linking the Pacific Atlantic Ocean through the Arctic Ocean. It runs along the northern coast of continental mainland Canada through the Arctic Archipelago, oh, which is sometimes right, right. known as the Canadian Arctic Archipelago. 1497, John Cabot became the first European to explore the passage. 1845, Sir John Franklin set off with the HMS Erebus and Terror and never returned. 2014, we know what happened. The Erebus was found off King William Island, and in 2016, the Terror was found just north of it. Those were big uh, social media days. 1854, Robert McClure became the first to traverse the passage by ship and sled. The first successful water navigation was made by Norwegian Roald Amundsen uh, in 1906 over the course of three years. So we started that in 1903. The first single season transit was made in 1944 by Sergeant Henry A. Larson of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Uh, Over the past almost two decades, warming temperatures have caused the Arctic sea ice to melt. And the entire route was ice-free for the first time in recorded history, the summer of 2007. Wow. And they say recorded history because, you know, they do the whole, it's a cyclical thing. Yeah. So it could have been. Sure, it was clear a million years ago. Yeah. But, you know, apparently journalists weren't around at that point. (laughs) 2012, 30 ships made it through the passage. 2016, a tourist ship uh, made it through the passage. It was the first tourist ship. With less ice, marine animals are able to cross as well. So this is just going to show, like, everything gets affected. Oh, yes. In 2010, two gray whales, which are native to the Pacific Ocean, were seen in the Atlantic for the first time in over 200 years. There you go. So that shows, like, yeah. Yeah. When you can come up for air, you can go further. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mean they can't They can't just swim that far? Uh, many vessels have now made the trip through the Northwest Passage, and that may, uh, any that may have made it through in one season have all been assisted by motor or sail, or both. And the big question. Big question being, is it possible to do it by human power alone? And being paddlers, that's right up our alley. Exactly. So we're doing it starting next week. <laughs> yes. Uh, our guest this week, uh, was on our show last year, 
almost a year ago yep. to do the text talked about the Texas water safari episode 278 if you want to hear that one and yeah the Texas water safari is next week a uh, week and a half week and a half yeah June 11th through 15th yeah I guess that is a week and a half isn't yeah. it time flies <laughs> uh, he has paddled the Amazon River I've listened to his book the Amazon from source to sea on my daily rush hour trips I do the audible book things now if you haven't read it or listened to it, definitely do. Quite, uh, It's quite the book. Uh, he's completed the first kayak source-to-sea navigation of the 2,100-mile Volga River in Russia. He's competed in many canoe and kayak races. And this summer, he's hoping to be one of the first to paddle the Northwest Passage in a single season. Our guest this week is West Hansen. How you doing, West? I'm doing really great. It's really nice to talk to uh, both of y'all again. Appreciate y'all having me on. Hey, it's great Thank to you. have you on. You've been busy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, first off, the Texas Water Safari, as Derek says, is a week and a half because, you know, uh, you're you're paddling that this year. Right. We're going tandem this year. Uh, I and uh, my expedition partner, Jeff Wiesty, are running in a tandem boat, and it's a good thing because we are in a pretty severe drought in Texas right now, and there's really not enough water in the river to make a sidewalk damp. I mean, we're actually thinking about wearing hiking boots just because we're going to be out of the boat so much. It's, oh, wow. it's going to be a pretty, it's going to be a, a 260 mile death march. So we're we're kind of glad we're in a, a really light boat and we can skirt over a lot of the more shallow areas. Uh, I've seen a couple people are training in boats with like five people. Right. You can have a boat up to six people. And the winners, the, the top fastest teams will probably be these uh, two six-man boats that are going this year. And and I'm just really glad I'm not in one of them. They're going to terribly. I wouldn't want to be in one of them because those are going to be some big portages. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's, it's really going to be uh, – it's, it's going to be torture. But um, – I think all twelve of the the paddlers in it are, are really top notch, so it'll get it'll be a good show. That's yeah. for sure. So you're going to get some last minute uh, exercise. Uh, yeah, up for some <laughs> extensive. <laughs> it's all helping. Now we're, you were saying you, you're you're really starting to get into shape and get ready for this uh, big expedition this summer. Right, uh, not just because of the expedition, because you know we've been we've been planning the. Northwest Passage expedition for three years, but we were put off uh, first for finances, and then the last two years for COVID right. um, restrictions. And and so, of course, we have a great amount of respect for that, and the 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 people of uh, none of it and the Northwest Territories. We don't want to. We didn't want to bring anything to that would hurt anybody or make them sick. So now we have a chance. We're fully vaccinated. And and, and boosted, and uh, the vaccinations have increased up north, and so we're gonna we're gonna we're, we're, we're gonna make a safe go of it. We're all ready for it. And then I've been getting in shape for two reasons. You know, as you mentioned earlier, the Texas Water Safari, but also I turned sixty years old a little while ago, and now that I'm officially, as I mentioned, um, middle aged. Yeah. If if my plan to live to be one hundred and twenty comes to fruition, then, then I, I thought it'd be a good time to get in shape. So I've cleaned up the diet. I've been exercising a little bit, you know, laying off the 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 beer and, and uh, just kind of getting in general overall shape. So I got seven years left. <laughs> Before you <laughs> hit right. middle age. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> I still got some time to party. 
You got it. So this is a big deal. I mean, the, the Northwest Passage has been um, a bucket list thing and, and it's uh, been a dreamed race. About, it's been dreamed about. Yeah. yeah. For last last, a couple hundred years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a big deal. The... Um, uh, I like I like doing firsts. I mean, who doesn't? And yeah. you know, so when we did the Amazon, it was the first from the the most distant source, and then the Volga hadn't been kayaked before, so we did it. And 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 you know, the, the Northwest Passage has been on my radar. I'm a I'm a huge fan of Roald Amundsen. I really really studied everything he's done and what's written about him, and you know, including his South Pole expedition and his attempted North Pole expedition and how he grew up and and more more recently even his first voyage to Antarctica which wasn't his South Pole expedition on the Belgica but he, he really had a, a great approach and I, I like to think that it's a it's a real winning way to go lightweight with a team of small team of people that you trust but the Northwest Passage was was such an interesting innovative way to do it I mean coming from Franklin who you know, with the British who who threw through everything, including the kitchen sink at an expedition, compared with Franklin's expedition, Walt Amundsen came in with just you know lightweight. Let's learn from the locals. Let's find out what's going on. Let's let's not assume we know everything, and and let's just do the best we can without you know pushing ourselves on on the territory. Let's learn from it, and right. and I, I like to think we take the same approach. Yeah, I mean, with the the Franklin expedition, I mean, they, like you say, they threw everything at it, and uh, I think they they did take the attitude of we know how to do this sort of thing, and um, you know, I, I just been reading a lot about it, the the expedition and everything, and you're finding out that a can of uh, lead sealed food, <laughs> yeah, was exactly. a downfall of the whole expedition. Well, I think it was one of the contributing factors. I, yeah. I don't think it was the complete downfall. No. I think their main, their main downfall, once again, was attitude because uh, the Inuit approached them on many occasions and, you know, probably offered help and they talked about interacting with them frequently, but the the expedition didn't learn anything from them. Right. You know, they just they just continued with that mentality. I mean, similar to Robert Falcon Scott, who, who you know, went on with things that weren't working in in, in the Antarctic. And so, you know, the, the, the lead based cans were one of the problems, but I think the overall failure came with the, the paradigm or the perspective they were bringing in. Right. So the Arctic Cowboys, um, recently there has been a new member added and we were told it's not going to be, the name was not going to be changed to Arctic Cowboys and Girls. <laughs> That's we had a discussion about that. <laughs> so who well, are the Arctic Cowboys? Well, the Arctic Cowboys are uh, myself, you know, Wes Hansen, and Jeff Wiesty, who was with me on the Amazon and, and on the Volga, and, and who's been a, a, a friend and, and racing companion for, for <laughs> going on three decades. I'm sorry <laughs> to have to remember. And... and um, and Rebecca Feaster. Rebecca is is a an experienced uh, racer. She's a world class canoe and kayak racer, ultra marathon racer, triathlete. She, uh, I believe, her team was third overall in the Texas Water Safari last year, and and she was the driver of a six person boat, which is a really difficult thing to do, and you have to show a lot of a lot of character and toughness. Right. Uh, 
And even though she's only 31 years old, she's got a lot, a lot of life experience, which I think is going to help contribute towards the expedition. But you had mentioned that, you know, that the name Arctic Cowboys, you know, we've had that for three years. And so when Rebecca came on board, Jeff and uh, Jeff and I talked to her and we said, well, you know, maybe we should adjust the name for accuracy. And, and we, you know, brought it to her. Obviously, she's a team member. And I came up with, we came up with some pretty silly ideas. The Arctic Cow People, the, the, <laughs> the, uh, the Arctic Cow Pokes. There's several things that just didn't fit right. And, and she just finally raised her hand and said, look, I'm fine with the Arctic Cowboys. It doesn't matter to me. And, and, and we thought, okay, well, she's fine with it. So are we. You know, we're willing to change to something else, the Arctic Wranglers or anything, something to depict the fact that we're from Texas, you know. Right. So, but now she said, no, nah, let's just stick with the Cowboys. And I said, all right, it's good for you. It's good for us. There's other things to worry about, right? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Plus, we had the logo already. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. We're already that much farther ahead. Yeah. You don't have to change you know, the letterhead. We had, we're already blown up the balloons, you know. What do you want? <laughs> Uh, now you did have another member who has had to drop out uh yeah jimmy jimmy yeah jimmy's jimmy's an old friend of ours uh known him almost as long as i've known jeff and you know he's he's a he's an austinite another another native texan uh he was actually down in south america with us and was going to join us in part of the amazon expedition uh but we ran our timeline was way off down there it was my first expedition and i didn't know that (laughs) timelines are you're just supposed to make a joke out of them but and he went he wasn't able to stay long enough for that one which i regretted and so you know as soon as we can get him on another expedition we did and in fact he was on our expedition two years ago i think two summers ago or it might have been last summer yeah i think it was last summer where we paddled the entire coast of texas or what we call the south coast here in the united states and and um it's uh it was about a 420 mile trip we took it because we couldn't come up to the passage and and so we just threw together five guys and and uh and did that trip which was which was really a nice you know two-week break for us um but uh with the discussion over the past few years about the, the the route we're taking through the Northwest Passage, well, Jimmy had already always, you know, preferred that we go from Tuktiaktuk and head west through the passage. Uh, the passage starts at uh, Cape Bradhurst, about 100 miles uh, east of, uh, of uh, Tuktiaktuk. And uh, anyway, he, he suggested we travel east, excuse me, from Tuk to Pond Inlet, and we talked about that, and that was a really popular route, and we had kind of planned that for a while, but then the more I studied the previous attempts to row and kayak the Northwest Passage, the more I realized that previous attempts met their downfall when paddling east, and they would come to Victoria Strait, and for those of you who know something about the Northwest Passage, this is where all the ice flows south from the northern part of the Arctic and through Peel Sound and just clogs in these shallow, uh, the, the shallow area where all these these um, small islands are, the National Geographic Islands, um, and all the expeditions were blocked uh, in there. And so they got there and they stopped and they had to, you know, quit their expeditions. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that again. So what we're doing has its risks. We are leaving from uh, Baffin Bay near Pond Inlet. 
right. uh, up near Lancaster Sound, and or excuse me, Lancaster Strait. And uh, Jimmy is of the opinion that that is putting us at too much of a risk to finish later in the year. In other words, there's a chance that we could go into you know late September. We're definitely going to be going into late September, but there's also a risk we can go into October, which means we're going to be getting some pretty cold weather down near Tuktoyaktuk or the uh, Northwest Territories where we come out of the um, of the western border of the uh, Northwest Passage. So, given that information, he just he opted out, and he's actually going to be doing another expedition. He's going to be canoeing up the Mackenzie River, which is a strange thing to say when you're paddling up a river. But he's the the flow goes north, obviously yeah. Canada, and uh, with some other uh, Texans who are also canoe and kayak racers. So he just traded our expedition, but he'll still be doing something up there. Well, that's cool. Yeah, we're yeah. we're we're looking at that. You're you're you go east to west or west to east, and we're thinking maybe you're going from Pond Inlet to Tuck because as you head south later, later in the, in the year. year yeah. You you have the ice chasing you down as opposed exactly. to you running yeah. into it. So you start yes, in the, that, that, yeah. that's my argument also. You know, we leave when it's close to its pinnacle. I mean, granted, it's after the summer solstice when we're leaving. Right. Uh, uh, when we're departing. Uh, and, and you're right. The, the ice will be chasing us. We'll be running from winter instead of trying to beat winter going north. Yeah. Uh, um, and... You know, there's been one other attempt to do that. There's a German uh, fella. Um, oh God, what's his name? Him, him, oh, Hemmings, I think was his last name. It's on my website. But uh, he came from Greenland across and went to Resolute through Lancaster uh, Strait and then down through Peel Sound uh, and ended in Joachim, uh over about three years. But he was dragging over ice for the most part. Right. But that's that's really been the only attempt to either row or, or kayak from the east to the west. And and I think he perhaps did it, you know, 20 years too early. But I, I think we're going to have a lot more luck this year. Well, we're hoping so. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks. Uh, so when you're talking <clears throat> routes, the one route when – because when I first started researching things, it says it's only 900 kilometers. And then everything else I'm, I'm seeing is like – 2,000, 3,000, that sort of, or miles, I should say. Right. When you look at the map, there's that big open section that goes from the top of, uh, what is it, Bilet, uh Island right across to the top of Banks Island. Now, uh, the, the big main channel. The big, big main channel. But when you're looking at the hops from island yeah. to island. The exposure's too that's huge. That's like... Over a hundred uh, kilometers each, you, wide. You, yeah, yeah, wide. I haven't seen a hundred kilometers. I've seen uh, at the most forty-five, and that's Pr- uh, Prince Regent Sound. That okay. and that's going yeah. uh, at the widest point, which is at the mouth from um, uh, over over to. Um, oh gosh, I'm getting all my islands mixed up now. Over, <laughs> there's to, too many of them. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> Uh, Leopold Island. If we were to go the widest part over to Leopold Island, and this is once again crossing Prince Reed, the mouth of Prince Regis Sound, and that's the widest open water area we have. It's about forty-five miles. Yeah, but if you look, you know where uh, Bilet Island is. Yes, uh, of course you do. Uh, but if you go from the top of that straight west to Devon, or, oh, straight west, yes, yeah, straight yeah. west, you hit yeah. 
Banks Island. That's if you hit go straight across. Yeah, without any inlet. Without don't know you don't turn south. You don't go through Fort Ross or it's the any, route that the big ships would take. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're not going that far. We're turning south. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we, we're figuring, like, well, that would be fast. But there, it's yeah. so open up there, it's exposed. Yeah, that's the, well, and and the chances of their break it, the 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 sea ice breaking up are, are pretty small. They haven't really. There's not really any ships that go through that area. There have been some submarine passages, but uh, you know, even in the warmest years we've had so far, there hasn't been a total breakup of that that route. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so that's, that's the one. That's the one. McClure, y'all, y'all talked about McClure earlier. That's where he came across, right? Because he he hit banks with his ship, stayed shipwrecked, and then they started sledging over, and then that's when they ran into the rescue party, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I figure, yeah, heading down south, and that just makes the trip longer, but uh, a lot safer. Uh, and like you say, forty-five miles is your biggest your biggest cross. Right, and we can even reduce that if we go further south into Peel Sound. But I'd really like to visit Leopold Island. There's a there's, there's an old um, uh, whaling station there that we'd like to take a look at too. A lot of historic places along the way that we're we're really looking forward to seeing. Yeah, so, well, that's yeah, that's what we're. That was one yeah, of our questions. Five mile about... crossing isn't you know in the right forty five mile crossing in, in the right conditions aren't aren't aren't, aren't that big a concern for us. Yeah. No. Yeah, some of these historical locations, that was one of our big questions that eventually we're going to get to is it's there's so much history here, so much to see, and oh, yeah. to just pass through and not stop would be an opportunity lost and missed. So it's uh, I, for me, that would be the most exciting part is being able to kind of see and experience the history. Oh, exactly, and I'm, I'm such a history buff. I mean, I did that. I didn't do it as much with Russia because we kind of had to keep a low profile. Um, uh the Russia had just invaded Crimea right uh, like a month before we went there. And, and, uh, so we really kind of kept low profile and we didn't root around on land too much. We stayed with friends in town. So we didn't do too much there, but on the Amazon, I did extensive research into the history of the Amazon and where, uh, some famous explorers had camped and where they stopped for the night. And, and I was just in awe to be able to stand on the same shores that they, that they were on or the mouths of, uh, rivers coming into the Amazon. So it's the same thing with the Northwest Passage. There are these places I have mapped out where there were famous shipwrecks. And, and the, the Erebus and Terror, terror sites are off limits. Uh, we're, right. not gonna, we're not going to go where we're not supposed to, I assure you. Uh, just tell that to Parks Canada. Don't worry about <laughs> us. We're be, we'll be good. Yeah. Uh, What's that? Are, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to take a mask and fins just in case. But, but um, no, for instance, you know, well, the, the most recent historic site is right there by the Tasmania Islands where that, that Russian-funded expedition sank their truck. Right. And, and so uh, kind of interesting seeing what's, uh, what are the effects of those guys and, and what their battery acid and fuel are killing oh, people there. Exactly, yeah. We're, we're going to be, you know, going through there. And, and, and I have on our charts uh, all these places listed, the, the Hudson, Bay Company, Hudson Bay Trading Company, Outposts, the where the Norwals were were hunted and 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 you know throughout this whole thing, and of course the Smoking Hills uh, that are just west of Tuktiaktuk, or just excuse me, just east of Tuktiaktuk, Polituk, the Copper River. There, there's just some wonderful places. Of course, Joahaven, where Old Amundsen over uh, overwintered for two winters. Right. So I'm ex- extremely excited about the history. Uh, of what's happened there, and, I, and honestly, 
it's it's humbling uh, to to just be able to be out there in the middle of nowhere, standing where where these uh, these amazing people stood. Well, it's uh, stuff that you learned in school, like the history yeah. books. Yeah. Well, yeah, and unfortunately, in Texas, we didn't cover the Northwest Passage a whole lot. So, <laughs> so I can tell you all about the you know the Texas Revolution, but so I had to do a lot of this myself, and I hope to in my my blogging and writing and, and perhaps the book afterwards bring a lot of this to the fore for a lot of people that aren't familiar with the Northwest Passage. And and if you don't mind me leading this dance a little bit. Um, one of the reasons we're going, I mean, we're not just going to do a first. I mean, it, it is exciting to do a first. But the other thing is, is this this area, this passage, is about to change in a great and, and maybe horrible way because it's going to become an Audubon for shipping and for commercial shipping and tankers and, and, and uh, container ships and whatnot because it's going to be free. It's going to be faster going between uh, you know Asia and, and Europe uh, than the Panama Canal and it's going to be greatly impacted I mean just think of the the Panama Canal before or the, the or Panama before the canal was built yeah or uh, I mean and that's what we're going to be seeing up in the Northwest Passage and I want to I want to record what it's like on video and you know you know in word and just see it before it changes now I believe I've read that it was basically going to go from a 14,000 mile trip down to the Panama and around to 8,000 miles. Yeah. That's through, the, through the Northwest Passage. Yeah, depending on where you're, you're landing, but that sounds about right. And you can also get a good view of it uh, from, if you look at the commercial airline flights, because they've always gone the most direct route. When right. you see a flight on, you know, whatever your favorite commercial airline flight is, and you look at the route and say, why are they going over the top of the world? That seems longer. Well, not if you think of it as a ball. <laughs> so it's really not. And so that's that's exactly the way it is with the, the sea route. Navigating the Northwest Passage is, is drastically shorter. The weather, even though it's in the Arctic, is, 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 is as, as volatile as going into some hurricane or cyclone area. Exactly. So it's you know, technically going to be safer for shipping. And I think they've already, I've read they've already tested a couple of super tankers going through just to see. Right. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Right. Mm. You're right. And this is going to be a big deal, obviously, for, you know, and it has been a big deal for the past 70 years with international maritime litigation and um, uh, boundaries, international boundaries, and this, that, and the other. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, everything in the archipelago is Canadian. But it butts up against, um, you know, uh, the how far offshore you can travel without being in someone's territory. Yeah, and, exactly. Greenland, but, Russia, and so on, right? Yeah, and that's when it gets ugly because you can actually thread some islands up there and still be within international waters, but you're in the middle of Canada. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to stay away from that. But <laughs> at the same time, with the increased shipping, that's going to be at the fore. That's that's for sure. Yeah, I think it's right now the U.S., Canada, Russia, and Denmark, because Denmark Greenland. is uh, Greenland, right? Yeah. They're all sort of button heads over the last... Yeah, U.S. doesn't recognize know. Canada's sovereignty for the channel. Well, it's, the it's more at Denmark and, and Russia uh, saying it's theirs. Yes, but they're saying... The, 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 there's this international argument. The U.N. is getting involved. Well, and it's so the on. whole international yeah. water thing. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. 
it, it's it's not going to be pretty, that's for sure. And, no. and 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 bringing it full circle, just the influx of shipping in there is going to bring industry. Oh yes, yes. yeah. So that will be it. it I, I guess I'm getting a rare opportunity here to see something before it it changes forever. Exactly. Yeah. Before you see Starbucks and Tim Hortons up there and stuff. Yes, or their giant refineries. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. Refineries yeah. Being up there and 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 ports of call where where ships will be serviced and things. It's and oil spills. All and, you need is one environmental disaster. Yeah. It and we got a first one with this this Ford F one fifty pickup truck by the Tasmania yeah. Islands. Yeah. It's the sign of the times. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. Um. So let's talk a bit about your expedition. Sure. Is it going to be unsupported expedition where you bring everything with you, or are you having planned resupplies along and stops along the way? Uh, more number one than number two. Uh, we are planning to be completely self-contained and self-supported. We are. There is another uh, at the same time. A friend of mine here in Austin named Robert Ewens is a. He's a couple. He's, he's many things, but the one thing he's really good at is taking outboard motor John boats great distances. And apparently, there's a whole culture about this, and they they have specifics about the length of your boat and how many horsepower your motor have. Well, he wants to be the first person to navigate the Northwest Passage in an open John boat. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, I, no, I the same thing. But if you knew this guy, you would think. Yeah, if anybody can do it, it's going to be this guy. He's done, he's done a lot already in that in that realm. And so when he learned about our, our trip here, he said, well, I'm going to go do that too. And it, so he's doing it, but it's going to be separate than ours. Okay. The same, at the same time, he's going to meet us at a couple of very um, specific places because he's also a licensed professional drone pilot huh? and, a, and he has international licenses and he knows what he's doing so he's going to show up at fort ross which is at the mouth of the the uh the eastern mouth of bellot strait uh to drone shot us through the bellot strait which is has also never been kayaked as far as i've been able to find so that's going to be an exciting thing to do but uh he'll he'll bring us some resupply there that we're going to give him but at the same time, it's too risky. It's such a remote area. We're not going to count on that. If he's there, that's great, and we really hope to see him. Uh, but if something horrible happens, and, and you know we're, we're not able to meet him there, if he gets iced in or or something, we don't want to be without our food. Right. So we're planning enough to get to either Joahaven or Cambridge Bay, where we'll resupply there, and that'll be roughly halfway through the the expedition. Right. So you, yeah. So if you can manage at least half your gear. Then you're right. Good. Yeah, yeah, and, and we've got a lot of experience in in distance kayaking, so we know what gear to take, one not. We know how much food we'll need. Yeah, and we and we've kayaked in colder weather, if that's hard to believe. So we're we're used to what how to stay warm and how much you know what kind of calories to take in and 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 so forth. Uh, what kind of kayaks are you taking? We're taking uh, Epic eighteen X C kayaks. And uh, Epic's been our sponsor since the Amazon back in 2012, and they've gave, given us a great deal on our three kayaks. And they're, these kayaks have a really nice balance between speed, uh, stability, and carrying capability. So they've, they've turned into some really, really good expedition stock kayaks. Uh, they can handle some pretty rough water, We've never gone over in them, and, and they can carry a lot of gear. If you can think of 
four full-sized heavy-duty backpacks that you can carry. That's what we could put inside these each oh, one of these oh, kayaks. Right on. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, we don't necessarily – I mean, that's not heavy. We go light on this, and we really are careful about our weight, but that's a lot of volume they can carry. Right. Um, now, the big question that's been around lately is regular paddles or Greenland-style paddles? There you go. <laughs> well – we take we use wing paddles, which are like uh, racing kayak paddles. They have kind of a scoop on the end. Okay. Uh, and a lot of people might think that's antithetical for you know multi day or multi week or multi month trips, but this is what we're really used to. And I used we used them on the the Amazon. We used them on the Volga, and you get more bang for the buck. You don't have to have as high a stroke rate. You get a nice pull. We're really used to using them. And we can brace with them. I know it's hard for the Greenlanders to <laughs> think that we can grace with this scoopy paddle, but, yeah. but we, can, we can do it. And so we're taking those. And then we also have uh, our breakdown emergency paddle, paddles are flat-bladed paddles. So those are what you would call your regular paddle. But we're definitely definitely not taking a Greenland paddle. Uh, yeah, you know what? If, if those ones work for you and oh, you're exactly. used to them, then you might yeah. as well use them, right? Right. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of rank those in with the uh, fixie bike bicyclers. Yeah. Who had the you know fixed gear and no brakes? Okay, you yes. Go, man. Yeah, you you go, man. You, you do, <laughs> do Greenland paddle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when you're talking gear, let's go through shelter, stoves, cold weather gear. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. tough to. You're, you're, it's going to be a big competition for storage space because you're talking food and fuel and shelter and and, and stuff like that. So to, you must have. I, I assume there's just one tent. Yeah, and we had uh, we had two and three tents. We had multiple tents on the Amazon because we had we had a boat that followed us for a while, so they had a tent, and then uh, you know, and then we had three of us, and we didn't want to cram it. We had these, you know, it was summer, so um, well, not summer, but it was hot because yeah. of the Amazon. So we really kind of wanted to spread out. Uh, on the in the passage, North Face has jumped on us. The North Face has jumped on us. A really nice sponsor, and they gave us. These 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 perfect tents. They're they're fairly bomb proof. I mean, we're we're pretty cognizant of the wind, the catabatic winds up in the Northwest Passage. So we didn't want something too lightweight. So we have a pretty good size five person tent that we're taking that we could spend a few days in if we're weathered in. Right. Uh, and we tested it out because we thought, okay, if one of us is carrying this thing, it's just too heavy. But we divide the. The poles, the rain fly, and the tent amongst three paddles, uh, I mean, three kayaks, and it's actually a fairly small tent to carry, even though it's this expedition style and, and size tent with, with stakes. So mm. we've got that. The, the North Face also gave us some really great sleeping bags. Uh, we'll, we'll have inflatable sleeping pads because the ground gets cold and you got to be comfortable. Uh, but, you know, and stoves are lightweight, uh, gas backpacking stoves which we've used before uh very very efficient so you don't use too much fuel you don't have to carry too much fuel so is it uh, white, your white gas you're using no no we're using uh actually gas gas uh propane or butane whatever they put in those oh, okay yep. it's, not liquid, it's not liquid gas mm -hmm. the, li the liquid stuff is just too heavy and and, and then I, I read the one of mike horn's stories about you know pretty much catching himself on fire one time and in, in the arctic and, and okay i'm never going to take liquid fuel to the arctic but um now the the the, the non-liquid stuff really works well for us 
So there must you must be it, to get that amount of fuel for that length of time. Like you, you. Uh, I don't know if you'd be able to later on the trip when you do stop and try and restore and restock. Like, are you do you know if you're going to be able to get the right canisters to to feed your stoves or? Because I assume you're going to be melting a lot of water. You're going to have to rely on either melt water or whatever. You're not going to be able to filter your water or reverse osmosis for you know filtering seawater and so on. So I guess you're going to be melting. So that's a lot of fuel. No, we don't plan on melting any water or melting any ice for water. Uh, the runoff from the snow melt and ice melt from the streams is pretty pretty consistent up oh, okay. there and pretty okay. reliable. And it's probably some of the cleanest water on the planet, except for the nuclear fallout from from uh, Chernobyl, which is yeah. <laughs> still, still measurable in yeah. Arctic ice, by the way. So we'll have that, and then we have some pretty high, you know, high quality filters that we use. Uh, so we're not going to melt any ice, or we don't need the fuel for that. And okay. and I, we really only have a short burn day to boil whatever water we need. And, and I've actually taken one of these fuel canisters out and lit it and timed it. And it, it burned almost all day, I mean, for several hours. So if you only use, you know, five or ten minutes every morning uh, in the evening, then you're barely using any fuel up there. Yeah, okay. So now with, with the butane and the propane, uh, like I've I've camped in, uh, in sub-zero temperatures with that, and I found that it's hard to get a good uh, boil on in cold temperatures because you you end up getting some of the butane but not the protein, propane coming out when you have a mixed fuel canister. And so is is that a consideration? Like what, what t- low temperatures are you expecting? I, I suppose uh, working in Celsius, you're probably not expecting it to go much below zero, maybe maybe a minus 5, minus 10 night, but in the days it would warm right up again, I assume, right? Well, we're not going to have a lot of night. Um, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so so there is that. I Okay, I had forgotten about that part. So I, yeah. I guess you have some pretty stable temperatures then. Exactly. We actually have, the last year, there it got up to 60 degrees down in Cambridge Bay and and, and, uh, and, and Coronation Gulf. The, some of the towns along there, we've been monitoring the temperatures all year round. Now, the water, obviously, is freezing and sub-freezing, and that, that's pretty cold, but salt water takes a lot colder temperatures to freeze. So we're going to be in freezing temperatures in the water if we get wet. But on land, I actually think it's going to be fairly tropical. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so the the uh, the gas fuel won't be a problem then. Exactly. Yeah. So now, when it comes to so uh, the amount of and I, I keep coming back to the storage part with the, with the three kayaks. So sure. to carry that much food, like the uh, the concern would be having enough person calories per day to maintain focus and energy and and to fuel this this uh, this paddle. Like I suppose you're not using your big muscles. You're going to be sitting down a lot, so it's all upper body. But still, you're going to go through a lot of calories to keep the body going. So is that right. you must have you must have put a lot of time into the logistics to know the calorie intake that you need to keep going and so on, right? Well, it's been more hit and miss. I haven't, I didn't really count our calories until after the last couple of expeditions. And we kind of worked into a routine, you know, starting 10 years ago on the expeditions. And, 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 and I know exactly what I'm going to be eating every day. I can tell you right now. It's, it's, and it, it has a lot to do with what I can stomach, uh, what gives us enough calories. And some of it won't make sense to some people, but it, it works for us. We, 
two packets of instant oatmeal in the morning, but not blueberry flavored, and <laughs> two two instant coffees. Uh, my partners Jeff and Rebecca they drink tea, so they'll have two hot teas, and that's our breakfast. And then we get up and we get on the water, pack up, get going, uh, and then. Between breakfast and lunch, we drink a 1,600-calorie protein drink that we make up ourselves. We mix uh, okay. protein powder uh, with uh, some maltodextrin, we have some, and then we add a whole bunch of electrolyte powder to that. And then we stop for lunch and eat. Uh, we try to get some fat in for lunch with either peanut butter, tuna fish with oil, uh, crackers, trail mix. We try to get the fat in around lunchtime. And then in the afternoon, we drink another one of those protein mixes. So we, we shake, we mix them up during breakfast and lunch so they're with us on the water. And we just constantly sip them over the next few hours. And then for supper, we'll eat, you know, you know, you know those camping meals you get commercially that are dehydrated. Yeah. Like the Mountain so, House and Alpen yes, Air. Exactly. exactly. I'll eat two of those. And, and they're made for two people. It says, this feeds two. <laughs> <laughs> Feeds half of me. Yeah, and I'm a, you know I'm a 210 pound guy, so I'll I'll eat these things like crazy. I, you know what's really even weirder? I love the taste of them. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds strange, but I like them. And then if we run into a store, if we we, we can carry some extra weight somewhere, I'll add some some uh, some uh, canned meat to that just to get some more calories in. And that's about it. And, and of course, well, scotch. But but other than that, <laughs> that's that that. That keeps us going for weeks on end. Yeah. We've eaten this. And in Russia, we substituted it. We, well, we added a lot of kielbasa and cheese and, and candy bars because we, we ran into towns a lot in Russia. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. But we won't necessarily have that here, obviously. But if we run into a fisherman who wants to sell us a, you know, a, a char, we're going to take the char and we're going to cook it up. There you go. Yeah. 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 So now when it comes to, are you considering like uh, preloading, like uh, fattening yourselves up type thing, <laughs> gain like 10, 20 pounds, and, and so you have something to burn off? Yeah, and that's something we've been talking to Rebecca about, and, and Jeff and I are used to this kind of thing. Plus, you know, Jeff and I are 60 and 62 years old, so it's pretty easy for us to store fat. <laughs> but uh, Rebecca's a, an athlete. I mean, she's a, she's a she's doing a 70-mile um triathlon here in a week or two but uh i mean she's fit you know she's in great shape and and so we're having to tell her okay after that you really need to do a lot of sitting around you know <laughs> you really need to start going to mcdonald's every day you know that kind of thing and so you because we lose it immediately i mean we have a we have a lot of trouble keeping weight on up there but so we really aren't going to be doing any training after the the texas water safari in a week and a half we'll at that point I mean, I'm a, I'm a carpenter, so I'll be out doing some carpentry, but I'm not going to be doing, you know, this weekend we did 80 miles on the river three different days, or 90 miles in three different days, and so, I'll, you know, we're not going to be doing that. So, we're just going to be eating cheeseburgers. Yeah, there you go. So, basically, yeah. I'm in training. <laughs> I'm always in training. <laughs> I tell you what, I mean, you have all these bad diets out there and everything, it's like, no, 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 what you need to do, here, let me tell you, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to gain as much weight as possible, you need to go paddle 4,200 miles down the Amazon. And we, and here's the deal, we don't paddle hard. People say, what do you do to train? Well, we really don't do anything, because we're not stressing, these aren't high-impact movements we're doing, we just, we're just steady, mm-hmm. and we paddle. You know, anywhere, you know, in, in Russia and South America, it was about 14 hours a day. It may be more uh, in the Arctic because we have longer days. But we'll have to figure that out once we're there. But 
it's not a stressful thing. Now, occasionally it is. I mean, there's always some terror going on. You know, there's always some giant wave that's coming or some flow or some iceberg that might roll over on us. So I guarantee you we'll have to sprint now and then. But the other, it's just this slow calorie burn. And and I lost 30 pounds in the Amazon. I lost 20 on the, the Volga because we had, you know, sausage there but <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be really hard to keep the weight on up there i agree so we'll we'll pack on another 10 pounds just to make sure <laughs> just in case so now when you talk about calories in so calories in equals the waste out so that that must be a like a part of your logistics to you know plan that along that route about uh about how to like are you are you going to be like, like wag bags or carrying waste or like what's the plan we're not we're not going to have the ability to carry our waste out that's just the bottom line yep. we've 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 thought about it. We've tried different things, but it's just not feasible, and and it's not tolerable. So we're gonna be we're gonna be burying it. We got a shovel. Yep. Okay, we'll have we'll have a a little pit somewhere, and that'll be that. Well, the other thing about when we get into the schedule that we're in, the paddling and and eating and sleeping, we're extremely regular. So these things are fairly predictable, and we'll be able to manage it appropriately. Okay, and we're perfect. not gonna. We're not going to float the water, that's for sure. <laughs> well, you know, feeding the fish. Yeah. <laughs> they turn their noses up at this one. <laughs> um, now, you had mentioned about doing a documentary. Uh, so camera gear. Um, You'd be carrying a lot, I assume. That's going to be a lot of camera gear and power. Yeah. Batteries yeah. and... Yeah, I've gotten pretty good about that over the past years. Look, when we when we, when I first started doing the expedition, I really didn't know anything about any of this, and I and I took, um, you know, we had a great sponsor that gave us some some solar panels to take on the Amazon, but we we never got to use them, and and so since then, because they're not supposed to get wet, so you can't really the the kind we have the the heavier ones you can get wet, but we can't carry all that weight, so we had the fold out ones and they take a long time to charge and you need really good sunshine well the passage is famous for being overcast right so we and plus we don't want to sit on the bank while we're waiting for batteries to be you know charged up so we're taking uh power packs to charge whatever we need i've got some pretty efficient power packs these days but the main thing we do is conserve our our power um the only consistent device we have that's going to require power are our transponders. We're going to have uh, transponders that are also GPS units mounted on our bows that'll show everybody where we are at all times if they go to our website, thearcticcowboys.com. And those are very efficient. We can pretty much go five days without turning those things off. They're from a real popular brand of GPS, and, and so it's it's they're, they're really reliable, and we've used them before. The other things we have are you know, small waterproof action cameras, and we have a, have a large, larger handheld professional splash-proof uh, video camera that's also really good, and then uh, just a standard SLR camera that'll make RAW and JPEG still shots. Right. And, oh, and I'm taking a small drone. I'm learning how to use this little drone. So that seems to be the you know what? Like it's cool to see all the videos, but when you can see the landscape yeah. like that from above. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what I want to capture also, just to give a, some perspective to, because a lot of people don't understand the mountains that are up there. I mean, Baffin Island has the tallest climbs and, and vertical walls for, for mountain climbers and things like this, and, and the, the mountains along the, 
the upper part of the passage are just amazing. And so, so I hope to get some really good shots of that to, to bring back. Yeah, absolutely. Because when, when you're talking, uh, on, on your average view, your average daily view is going to be about two feet off the water. So, so you need some altitude shots to, uh, to add into that when you do any, uh, post trip documentary or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And like yeah. I said, uh, the Bellot Strait, which is uh, somewhat infamous, is only 17 miles long. So we really hope to get a fairly continuous shot of us with Robert Ewan's help, uh, drone shotting us through the entire Bellot Strait. We have to get through there really quickly. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that a little because we, we, uh, have some questions. We have questions. <laughs> we got questions. <laughs> uh, navigational aids, GPS, map and compass? Right. Exactly. Uh, I'm not. I it's it's great to have them, and I use them constantly. But I, but I'm a paper guy. I'm actually mm-hmm. taking full size navigational maps with me, and I've been studying them for the past few years. And and we'll uh, you know mail them back as as we don't need them. But uh, I like to look at where we're going and say okay, and then I get to mark on there with the historical areas and stuff like that. We have a, a neat little map. Our our media manager uh, made made for us that's on the uh, the website, so people can kind of see what our route is, our route is in, in real time through uh, Google Earth. But um, that, yeah, your your standard GPS stuff. But at the same time, a lot of it's going to be line of sight because we'll be able to we'll be next to land unless we're fog bound, you know, the whole time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it will be seat of the pants navigation. Yeah, on my, my trips, I prefer taking a paper map. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I, you know, so we sit there in the morning and say, "Okay, here we're going to go here, and this is how many miles it is. And we're going to duck into this inlet here." And uh, I'm I'm big into the paper. We had paper um, on. Uh, we didn't have paper on the the, the Volga because it wasn't available. We had we had street maps. We didn't want to raise any suspicions, so we just bought <laughs> maps for the Volga. But, but uh, on the Amazon, we we had Navy maps, and and I, I still have them, and I, I really kind of cherish them. I I got a uh, little cupboard thing here, and the top of it, uh, you can store stuff. And I've got a massive pile of maps I've been using for like the last thirty years. You know, I oh, I, I, I do a trip. When the trip's done, they get stuffed up. Oh yeah, to the top it, right. Yeah, and I I, love, I put notes on them too. Yeah, which I which I really like. So it's you know it's just a good memorabilia. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Uh, what about emergency beacons? Now we take spot. Other people take. Uh, Derek, you take uh, Zoleo. Zoleo. Yeah. Uh, other people take the. You're gonna um, have like some sort of personal locator, EPIRB something. Yeah, we're we're each taking personal EPIRBs. Um, we have those, and those are registered. Uh, to where they're going, so we'll have that. Plus, our transponder is also a a location device, so it, it's a constant location device. But we'll also have an SOS on that, so we have two forms of notification. Cool, including the EPIRBs, like I said. Um, now, the EPIRB, we had a, a malfunction on one when we were going up the Texas coast, and luckily, I'd given our route to. I had a contact with the Coast Guard, and so as soon as I saw that it was actually beeping, as if I'd set it off. Uh, I contacted him and said, this is not an alarm. Please don't. And, and I, had, I had the cell phone number of the guy that I'd basically doing our flight plan to. And so he, he, he was able to, you know, avoid a rescue. And I'm going to try to do the same thing by being in t- contact with the RCMP up in, up in uh, the passage to let them know where we are and, and hopefully get some direct contact numbers for them. Because we will have uh, sat phone ability also. Right. 
Uh, but that gets kind of expensive, so you're not wanting to be <laughs> yes. calling home every day. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, actually, every we do have a routine. I, I call home at the same, uh, not home, but our, our team manager, who's my sister, Barbara Eddington, I call her at a set time every day, and we have a routine of how we talk and what we talk about so that we minimize the amount of time. Right. There's not a lot, not a lot of jibber-jabber. She tells us, you know, I, I rattle off. You know, our she tells it. She verifies our location, which I can then I confirm. Uh, I give her the status of the team members, how everybody's doing, what we're doing, what we're going to do tomorrow. Da da da. Really quick. Um, anything exciting to write about on the blog, and she blogs for us. And then she floods me with all the information I need. You know, Sports Illustrated wants to talk, or uh, you got bad weather coming up, or so on and so forth. And then then we're off. That's a but perfect thing to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same time. Plus, she's my sister. We know how to talk to each other. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. A couple times on the other, she's basically told me to, you know, chill the hell out. You know, yes, <laughs> you're, you're being a jerk. So sisters can do that. You yeah, know? you're talking in your uh, Amazon book about uh, the conversations you would have back home. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That was where we learned all this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. It is. It is. So the entire team, we have the new Iridium Go, where we're going to get the new Iridium Go. We had two supporters that donated $400 a piece, which are really nice, that we're going to use to purchase the Iridium Go, and then I have to buy the minutes or the bandwidth on top of that. So uh, we'll be able to tap our smartphones into that thing, and everybody in the exhibition will be able to you know, talk to their loved ones for a certain amount of time. Right. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Somewhat. I mean, it does make you miss people at home, so we really kind of got to – you got to be careful of that. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe when the days that you're really being homesick, you give that quick little call home and get it out of, a bit of it out of your system so you can keep on going, right? Yeah, and that's when the, the folks at home really need to step up because they, that instead of them saying, "Oh, I miss you too," and I really want you here, I mean, that doesn't help. They got to say, "You can do it. Go on." You know, we need we need cheerleaders. Oh yes. That's, yeah. Yeah. So See? it's. It, it's kind of tough sometimes. That wouldn't happen in my house. <laughs> no, no. You're finishing this thing. We don't want you back for at least another three months. Didn't you just call yesterday? <laughs> exactly. I'm really busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mom's I'm in the bathroom. She'll call you later. No, really? You had to call during Downton Abbey? Yeah. Really <laughs> We're after the movies. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, one of the big things, uh, dangers that are up there, I mean, that's, that goes with the territory when you're heading up to there. You're talking cold water, you're talking weather. Uh, I presume you guys will be using, um, like dry suits while you're paddling during the days? Yeah, we had a lot of training on this in Russia because, I mean, it was sub-freezing for days on end in Russia. We were paddling through ice, snow, sleet. I mean, we had to drag across a lot of ice in Russia. But, um... Uh, a single piece dry suit is a really bad idea because you don't have a lot of options. So we have two piece dry suits because frequently it'll be plenty warm in the cockpit under our neoprene, you know, skirts, but cold on top. Right. So you don't want to be wearing a dry suit in the kayak. Plus, it's really hard to pee. I mean, you can't oh, yeah. wrinkle those things off very easily. So, you know, generally speaking, we'll wear some kind of pile or long underwear in the in the cockpit on the bottom, and then a dry suit on top, but at least have the dry suit where you can grab it. But sometimes either a windbreaker or uh, just a regular paddling jacket, nylon paddling jacket, is really all you need with a couple of layers on underneath. Uh, unless you're in, you know, because dry suits are get pretty hot. Yeah. yeah. 
and you know, and with a high protein diet, you're going to want to ventilate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well put. I need you for our spin meister. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to have a little tent talk about that. It, it, oh yes, the single tent. <laughs> yeah, it's we're going to warm in here. We're going to get pretty close. That's for sure. <laughs> Just as everybody's dozing off. Hey, pull my finger. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah that's, that does that does create uh, complications. You get, you get close. Last night, Wes slept outside. <laughs> yeah, he was on bear watch. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's one speaking of the things. Of bear is, watch. Speaking of bear watch, is polar bears. So you mentioned in some of the articles and some of your uh, on your website that that you're expected to see polar bears every single day. Well, I, that's how it was written, but that's not exactly what I said. I know exactly what you're <laughs> referring to. Um, the, uh, we expect to see them frequently on the first uh, third of the expedition from the start down to perhaps uh, King William Island or Victoria Strait. Um, you know, that's the least populated area, and that's, that's very high-density polar bear area. Um, so we'll see them pretty frequently then, I think. I think as we continue south and, and west, we'll see less and less of them. And the further west we get, we may even see, you know, black bear or grizzly or pizzlies. So that's, you know, once again, it, the frequency will be more up north or, or the start of the expedition. So when you're camping in areas that are, are you guys doing the the watch you're, you get first watch or... Yes. Yeah, that's really the only way I'm going to be able to get any sleep. I mean, some people take the electric fences around, but in my opinion, if they're hitting an electric fence, they are already too close. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, that's it's kind of like the bear spray thing. If you can use the bear spray, it's too late, you know? So, you know, they need to be further away. So uh, I've got a, 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 a friend, uh, Eric Larson, who's a, a fairly well-known polar explorer and extremely well accomplished um wrote some great books about it and uh he he recommended these uh the, these flash bombs or you know, flash flares that explode so you you know shoot them at a bear and they kind of explode and scare the bear away we oh, also are, bear bangers bear bangers yeah that's a good way to put it a bear banger and then uh we're taking a shotgun a 12 gauge uh you know and hopefully we'll never have to aim it at a bear but we'll we'll shoot it off to to scare them off but other than that, we're gonna we're gonna put a watch out, you know, two hours on, and so forth. If if we're that concerned about it, you know, because I'm not gonna be lay, able to lay in there and go to sleep. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. So this constant bear watch—that's uh, that, that logistically to get enough rest to maintain your your focus and your energy is like, it, like that's gonna be well, it's a needed draw. You're gonna have to keep watch. But I, I suppose that's something you're, you've taken into account when it comes to uh, the amount and time of rest periods to be able to keep going during the constant daylight hours. Right, and it's not quite constant. It'll, we'll start getting an hour or two of, of, of dark uh, mid-August, shortly after we begin, and it'll increase you know, as we go. So by the time we finish, we'll probably have full nights. But the, the, uh, and that'll dictate sleep also. But fortunately, the further we go, the less bears there are, and we'll probably just by then be all sleeping throughout the night. Mm-hmm. Well, that'd be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's only, like I said, during a short period that we're going to have the watches that we play. 
So some of the more dangerous parts of the route. Let's talk the uh, Bellot Strait. Yeah. Nine it, kilometer hour current. Or, no, mile mile per hour. Right? Mile per hour, yeah, it's well, uh, nautical nautical knots. It, it's it's about a seven to eight knots. So that's you know close to nine miles per hour, I guess. Um, and those are that's not at every place, but it's definitely something you need to be wary of. So you're gonna have to time it to because yes. I assume that's by the tide. So you're gonna have to take it with the flow. So depending on the time you arrive, you're gonna have you're gonna have to take time to go with the flow to get through. Right. We'll we'll stop at Fort Ross because it's such a cool place to be, and we'll leave our own little you know bottle of whiskey there for other people coming through, and we, we'll camp a night there or wherever we call a night just to be be there and scout around. And that's one of the places we'll hike around because it is historic. Uh, it's an old Hudson Bay Trading Company, the only you know one of the few remaining buildings they had, and we'll monitor the flow. The Bellot Strait is a seventeen mile narrow passage between uh, Peel Sound and Prince Regent Sound that reverses every four hours. And as y'all mentioned, the, the speed of the flow increases up to, you know, eight or so miles per hour at its at its peak. So we'll have to jump in and be ready as soon as we see the flow stop on, on our end, which will be, you know, Prince Regent Sound, and jump in and start going with the flow. Now, there's a few dangers there. There are some rocks. Uh, there's a thing called Magpie Rock, which has wrecked several ships. Uh, and there are there are um, uh, navigation beacons that you can see in there. And of course, there's also the, the risk of them be, there being fog. So we've got to be careful navigating through the fog. But our biggest concern is whether there's sea ice as we're going through there, because if we're doing you know eight plus miles an hour in our kayaks if we're moving we could be up doing a 10 or 11 miles per hour speed with that kind of flow well we don't want to go you know ramming into a bunch of sea ice you know it's going to wreck our kayaks and probably ruin our entire day so so um sea ice is definitely a concern going through the bellot strait yeah that just seems like a really uh uh one of the one of the more dangerous spots but with when you get things like that um all you can do is play it by ear once you get there. Right. And, well, we might end up having to, you know, camp out for several days. Mm-hmm. If, if, if it's clogged with ice, I mean, that's one of the things that's going to eat up our time is, well, I mean, it's really a no-go with ice in there. Right. It's just it's just too dangerous. It's not like you can just jump on a, you know, slab of ice and drag your, your kayak over, especially in, you know, heavy flow. I mean, it's a very dangerous thing to do. Um, and the other thing is on the, the southern portion the southern shore of Bellot Strait that's that's uh polar bear central oh, that's where okay. they all, that's that's where that's where they do their grocery shopping <laughs> so we don't want to necessarily pull over you know and hang out in the middle of Bellot Strait um so we're just going to be very careful we're going to talk to our weather people we're going to talk to our our ice condition people and we're going to make sure it's as the best possible conditions before we launch through Bellot Strait perfect yeah uh, large water crossings. Your largest, as we were saying, was uh, forty-five miles. But you can, if you scoot down some, it'll be forty-one. Right. Well, we can make might be able to squeeze that one down to to, to maybe thirty miles. You know, if, depending on where we cross. But yeah, you know, anywhere between thirty to forty-five miles when we cross. If we do the forty-five mile crossing, 
of the mouth of Prince Regent Sound, which I'd really like to do because then we'd land over at uh, Leopold Island, which is this beautiful island and bird sanctuary, and there's a historic um, uh, Hudson Bay trading land site and, and, and uh, whaling station uh, at the base of the island and across the little strait there that I'd really like to visit. But once again, we have to make sure the conditions are right because we're up near Lancaster Sound, I mean Lancaster Strait, and that's all, that, That's pretty much open ocean. So right. we need to be, we need to make sure all the conditions are just right to make that. If they're not, then we'll dive down into the safety or the safer place and cross within you know you know ten or twenty miles within Prince, Prince Regent Sound, which is which will be shorter and more more protected. Right, uh, Prince Leopold Island and Bird Sanctuary. Uh, that's where there's the what thousand foot cliffs. Yes, that'll be yeah. something to see. That'll be something, and it it slopes down towards the the the, the island is about you know six kilometers across from the mainland, uh, and there's a little uh, uh, there's a there's a cove you can dock in. It's a real popular place to dock, and and then then of course we're not going to disturb any birds or do anything there. We're not going to camp there, but we do want to get some drone shots and and uh, visit you know what's this you know very rare thing to see this this beautiful island. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it'll be undisturbed for decades to come. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Hopefully, yeah. We're uh, checking out some Google, uh, some Google images of it, and uh, you can just barely make out some of the buildings on the uh, southwest side of the island on on uh, Prince Leopold Island. It's uh, so I can see it's it's fascinating just seeing the little bit that you can't see from Google. So to see it in person is would be amazing. It would be amazing, and those are those are there's some research buildings there from the um, environmental research that's been done on that island over the past few decades. What are your concerns about lack of landing sites and camping sites? I don't have a lot of concerns about that. As I mentioned, we're you know we're going to be inside of land quite a bit. the 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 locations where there are just cliffs alone are pretty rare, and those are pretty early on, uh, but from the books I've read and from the research I've done, I don't think that we're going to have that big of a problem finding uh, frequent landing sites. And I've got um, the nav books, the sailing nav navigation books also of the entire passage. So they talk about where it's good to take, what the draft is, where you can go into certain bays or coves that are protected. They also talk about some that are um have uh, you know rough landing or, or high waves going into them, so I know which one of those to avoid, and I mark those on our our maps to to just you know not 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 geared near those because we don't want to land in heavy surf. Yeah, oh, and take off the or next get, day or get trapped on shore because of heavy surf. Or yeah, and I ran into that when I was uh, at Vancouver Island. I, it was kind of <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, this was a bad place to land, but I'm here <laughs> now. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm, we're going to be really careful about that. Unfortunately, that's not very common up there. The, 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 the wave conditions are generally wind generated up there, so they're not they're not that bad. Uh, you know, especially if you're going with with the swells and the waves. But it, but from a kayak perspective, um, we've we've handled a lot worse conditions than than what I've studied up there. Right. So what are we looking at for tides? Is it? I suppose the tides aren't that great up there. That's correct. They're not, and and the and, and if there is you know still ice pack up there, that really retards any wave action quite a bit. I mean, it it just really 
takes the takes the energy out of any yeah. waves or tides okay. or and the tides aren't anything really to speak of up there. That makes it perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, perfect. almost perfect. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not quite perfect. You know, what is it? Uh, Mike Tyson said, uh, "Everybody has a plan until you're punched in the face." <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see when we get punched in the face. There, there. you go. <laughs> uh, you know what? And there's times where that's all you can do. You, you know, got it. Until you yeah, get the boots on the ground, so to speak. Yeah. Exactly. And and we're not, you know, we don't have the hubris to think we've got we've got it down pat or we know everything. But we kind of plan our team personalities around, okay, well, this has gone wrong. How are we going to handle it? You know, that yeah. kind of thing. So we, we know things are going to go wrong. We're not, you know, <laughs> we're, we're not uh, optimistic enough to think that everything is going to go great. And you can't. I mean, we did, uh, a buddy of mine, we did the um, Moose River up to Moosonee a couple of years back. And he was making fun that I got the nickname Dossier because oh. I had everything all planned. I said, <laughs> this is what's going to happen. And he was concerned of what happens if something goes wrong. Day one, something went wrong. I'm well, like, off oh, the plan. I guess we're just not using this plan for the rest of the trip, and <laughs> off we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the old adage in the expedition community is, is you know, uh, Robert Falcon Scott, plan on everything to go right, and Roald Amundsen, plan on everything to go wrong. As, well, I'm planning everything these days. <laughs> that's, and that's what we do. We plan on everything going wrong, and, and we have contingency plans. And But the main thing is we have you know, hopefully personalities that'll handle that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, hopefully, you know, I mean, and that's the biggest thing is, you know what? Go with the flow. Mm-hmm. Don't panic. Just look at everything as calmly as possible and uh, make your make your decisions as best as you can. Well, and we're a team. I mean, there's three of us. Uh, we've all got some, some life experience. We know what real tragedy is. Yep. And, and we can, I think, you know, if we're doing this thing of our choosing, we can put whatever problems we come up against you know in context yeah we're upright we're breathing we have food we have a bear claw across our chest <laughs> let's manage this now when it's it comes 13 of the itinerary <laughs> <laughs> now when it comes to stuff like that like for first aid kits there must have was there anything unusual that is like that you guys came across like oh we need to add this to the first aid kit is there anything that was weird um, yeah, well, we had, we have antibiotics and things like this, but I'm, I'm going to add, um, I am going to add, uh, uh, ear infection medicine, ear drops oh, for ear infections yeah. because you know why that doesn't stop you. It really does make you miserable. Um, and we do have regular antibiotics for taking for internal and external stuff. I'm taking a suture kit. We really don't have a very extensive, uh, medical kit first off because of the weight and second off, you know, at some point you need to push a button. And I mean, we're not going to be performing surgery out there, mm-hmm. and and uh, so you know, we 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 take care of you know wilderness level uh, emergencies, but we're not hauling anybody, you know. Yes, exactly. So that's when we push a button. So your right. main contact point would be you, now you mentioned earlier RCMP, but it was it RCMP or is it Canadian Coast Guard or? It's both. It's both. Okay. Yeah, and so we'll be we'll be tied into both, and the Coast Guard definitely. We're going to let them know of our route, and and we've already been in touch with um, you know uh, the uh, 
the Canadian authorities that manage expeditions and things. And we've got a whole list of things, and we've got a nice contact there. So we'll be tying them in, and they'll know our route and our dates and, and so forth. Canada's been really great about that. Other, you know, we've been to other places where we weren't made to feel as welcome, shall we say, mm. with, without a load of cash. But, but uh, Canada contacted me, and the, the government contacted me and said, hey, we understand you're doing this. Uh, we want to make sure you're geared up right. What can we do to help you plan? Oh, that's amazing. I know. Huh. It's been great. It's It's been really nice. So, and, and of course, they let us know the, the rules and the laws and the wildlife, and, and which we'll adhere to, of course. Um, you know, it's we're visitors, and we know that. Yeah. And, and we're not... You know, Americans have a pretty bad reputation around the world, and we don't want to contribute to that. You know, not to not to our northern neighbors, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. There's enough bad things going on right now. Yeah, we don't need more. Yeah, <laughs> and we know, and you know, and we know this is the polar bear's home. You know, so if they don't want us there, we're going to leave. You know? or, or they'll eat you. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna put the gun down, and we're gonna paddle the hell away from here. Yeah. So, well, Rebecca's got a best. She's only got to outrun one of you two. Yes. <laughs> I think she could outrun us both. So at the end of the day, it's between you and Jeff. Yeah, and I, I could probably punch him in the face, you know, so I think I can out. <laughs> nice knowing you, Jeff. It's been really good, man. Good luck with Yogi. <laughs> uh, Arctic summer with the longer days. Do you think this is going to make things easier or harder when planning how long to paddle for the day? Because I know me, if I get in the swing of things and I just keep going and going and then I look down and it's like, it's seven o'clock at night. Or better, it's midnight. How do I better find that? a spot to, yeah. to camp? You know, and we've talked about that over the past few years. And I really don't think we can plan on it. What I learned also in our expeditions is you can't force a, a schedule. Because uh, uh, I'm like you, the first one I did is like, we're going to paddle this many miles a day and we're going to do this, da, 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 da. Nah, that didn't work. You have to kind of let the team and the specific expedition dictate the schedule, the, the finish way of the expedition, if you may. It, it's just got to fit and it's got to work and everybody's got to find the, the chores that they do for the team and their own individual styles of sleeping and dress, what they wear. You know, you kinda, it takes a couple of weeks to work into that. And it's going to be that way with our paddling. We have the advantage of all three of us being, you know, extremely experienced ultra marathon canoe racers. So, like the safari, we're going nonstop, and we'll probably be less hours this this year because the water's so low. Right, uh, and we can stay awake that long. It's not, it's not, you know, optimal, but we can. And and Rebecca's the same way. I mean, she was raised racing in the Texas Water Safari, and so. None of us are opposed to paddling, you know, 20 hours if we're kind of in the groove. Uh, so we're just going to have to talk amongst ourselves and figure out what it's like, and then we can sleep for 12 hours or whatever we decide. So we'll have a lot of flexibility, and we'll just have to kind of figure that out as we go. And, and you know, if one person says, I'm really tired, okay, we're pulling over. Right. Take everybody's uh, feelings and energy levels and yeah. count every day. You got it. I mean, we're going to point at them and laugh, of course. <laughs> Shame them. Would expect <laughs> nothing less. Oh, of course. But, you know, we will pull over if we have to. <laughs> you should have gone before we left. <laughs> Can't make it past 20 hours. 
just one polar bear bite. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a wimp. <laughs> uh, scheduled rest days or paddle when the weather is great and rest when the weather and water makes it impossible. So basically, are you going to make hay while it's shining? Yes, that's the short answer, and, and you nailed it. Uh, we know we're going to have forest down days, and we'll take advantage of those. Otherwise, right. otherwise we're, we're moving. And there's some uh, you know kayak explorers out there who think we really go fast and we miss things, but we don't. I mean, we just kind of paddle regularly. I mean, we talk while we paddle. This isn't a, you know, we, we play trivia, we sing songs, we do all kinds of stuff. We point and laugh at each other. And, and uh, we, you know, it's a very social thing we do. So it's not like we're racing. Mm -hmm. But we do tend to go faster than other expeditions, primarily because we don't stop, you know. Yeah. I mean, if we get up to a point of interest, we stop and go look and we stop for lunch and this, that, and the other. But, you know, we'll put in you know, easily 14 hours a day just moving. And so it just turns out that doing that thing over days and days and weeks and weeks, we just, we've gone a little bit faster than most people. Yeah, you know what? I mean, if that's what you guys get in the groove of doing, then and so be, I know there's a couple of articles about, uh, you know, a lot of people that we know um, just from the article, we know exactly who these people are talking about. Um, saying, oh, yeah, they're missing all the stuff. They're just like point A to point B as fast as possible. And, well, you know, sometimes people are on time limits and stuff like that. But if they yeah. don't have to be, then they're going to stop and see the sites and stuff like that. And everybody gets into a groove. Yeah. Well, the way we look at it is, is you know, you have these bicycle tours who, who paddle around the world or, or bicycle around the world or across the continent. They're doing 10 and 12 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And they're not, miss they're not missing a lot. Whereas we're doing, you know, three to five miles an hour at most. Right. And, and yeah, we got plenty of time to see everything. <laughs> There's another mountain. There's another mountain. <laughs> There's a bear. You know? There's another bear. Yeah. Has anybody I, I, got I, bear on their bingo card? <laughs> <laughs> There's an otter. There's another otter. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I, I don't there's a lot we missed. But there's stuff on your list here. Now, I went on your uh, your page there and, and just looked through your um, rough uh, guide of, of your route. You know, Pond yeah. Inlet, Violet Island, Button Point, all that sort of stuff. Uh, right. Somerset Island, you're, you're hoping to check out the abandoned Hudson's Bay trading post uh, at Port right. Leopold. Uh, Prince Regent Inlet has the coastline, the uh, Perry ship, the Fury, for, uh, Fury Beach. Yes. You know, um, ship Prince Albert spent two winters frozen at Batty Bay while searching for the Franklin Expedition. Uh-huh. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, you're going to be heading over to where the the sunken wrecks, the Terror and the Erebus are. Well... Uh, with with permission, with permission, I mean, we're, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be paddling, hopefully paddling by there. I don't know; it depends on where the ice is, whether we go north or south of, of King William Island. But uh, we'd love to go by there if we can get permission. But I'm 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 not sure that's going to happen or not. Well, that's still up in the air. That's still up in the air. Yeah. Uh, what Victoria Island, home to the largest city in the passage, which is Cambridge Bay. Yep. Um, smoking Hills. Talk about the Smoking Hills. That I I've never heard of them. Yeah, that's really kind of cool. Uh, you know, it's not it's not some place we can linger because it is toxic smoke. But these uh, 
go back as far as uh, the the uh, the language of the Inuit because they talk about it for you know thousands of years that these hills they and, and they're basically coal deposits underground and it's probably something different than coal but it's something along those lines that have been burning underground for thousands of years as far as we know and so they smoke they're they're not far smoke and so you could pull up there and and walk around it for a little bit without you know dying but you don't want to you don't want to stay there too long because it is fairly toxic but they're constantly smoking night and day and all weather I mean, we've heard about the coal mines in like Kentucky and stuff like that that are burning underground. Fifty years, I think. Yeah, that's what this is. That's what this is. Yeah, I've never even heard of those before until I started going through your. See, learn something every day. I know. I'll bring I'll bring you back some decent video of it. Perfect. No, no, just grab a chunk of coal and bring it back. (laughs) (laughs) Throw it in a box. Mail it to me. (laughs) Yeah. well, that's also signifying that we're getting close to the end because that's just south of Cape uh, Bradhurst, which is the you know the western point of the Northwest Passage. When when Will Robinson you know came past there, that's when he started seeing the the whalers, and mm-hmm. he said, "Hey, I made it past the Northwest Passage, yeehaw!" And and it's also what's defined by the International Hydrographical Hydrologic. Hydrological Association. Water people. <laughs> Water people. Anyway, they, find, they have an actual definition of what the Northwest Passage is, which is, of course, the Canadian archipelago, or Arctic archipelago, and that is the western boundary. A lot of lay people think it's the Bering Strait, but it's or, or Davis Strait on you know the Baffin Island side, and it's not. That's that's open ocean. It's not a passage. A passage is. You know, uh, uh, has to be defined by some land masses on each side. And if you're in open ocean, you don't you don't have land masses. So the yeah. the, sailing, the sailing community likes to say, well, you got to cross the the um, the uh, uh, you know the the opening of of Davis Strait and the Bering Strait in order to to say you've actually gone through the Northwest Passage. But that's that's just like saying, well, the Columbus discovered America. No, that's just that's just myth. That's just your own mythos. So, it's not actual geography or or oceanography. Yeah, there's there's a definite. This is what we describe as the end, and you've passed it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's actually that exists. Yeah, and it's not. You don't have to pass. You don't have to kayak or, or sail through the Beaufort Sea to get to the end of the Northwest Passage. Right. Uh, end, you're going to end at yeah. Tuktaak Tuk. Yes, Tuktaak Tuk. Now you're hoping to drive down to Inuvik, unless well, yeah, and and and, and we, that's a good point. Uh, with the permafrost no longer being so perma or frosty, that road may be out. Um, and if that's the case, we'll just you know paddle the rest of the way to you know uh, 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 Inuvik. Thank right. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll we'll paddle the rest of the way if the road's out. That's just the bottom line there. And call it a day. <laughs> and call it a day. Paddle up the McKinsey River, yes. There you go. Hey, hey you meet your buddies that are coming up. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you know what? Like like I say, we're we're really hoping that this really works out everything. All your ducks align and stars align. And well, I kind of want to live vicariously through you, so uh, your success uh, will give me a sense of success. Well, I hope so. And, and you know... Uh, 
we that's the other thing. I like to talk a lot about our expeditions and how we do it and the nuts and bolts of it, just to show people that this is this is within reach of what they do. I mean, we have no financial sponsors. We have some friends that have that have given us donated to us about a total of four thousand five hundred dollars. The rest of it, we are. I'm working two and three jobs. Jeff's working extra work. Rebecca's paying her own way. We're all just kind of pulling this out of our pockets. So, you know, it's nice to have you know sponsors like Jimmy Chin and all these guys have millions of dollars thrown at them through big sponsors. But you know, you can still go do these things you know, on your own. You know, if you you know just working up to pay for them. Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the big things everybody says is, man, it must be nice to have the sponsors, have the money, have the time off work and whatnot. And when you, when you start getting down, it, it's, it's not everybody has those sponsors mm-hmm. and, and everything. So, no, I mean, I'm a social worker with a family business, and I'm a, I do carpentry on the side to pay for these things. This is, I mean, I'm, you know, when I'm not training, I work seven days a week just to pay for these things. So, you know, it's... Yeah, it's it's kind of. I've had people say that to me. Well, I wish I had that time. I said, well, you can if you, you know, kind of don't buy a new car every other year or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, the point is, you know, you, you got to work a lot to do it. Well, you know, if if you're if you want to do it that badly, you'll find a way. And uh, but not like us. We just sit here, eat our cheeseburgers, drink beer, and talk <laughs> to people like you and live vicariously. Yeah. <laughs> that's training we already figured that out yeah. so you, <laughs> well and we have those of us out here really appreciate what you do because i mean we're not exactly headline grabbers i mean this you know many people don't even know what the northwest passage is and 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 uh, i mean it's uh named inappropriately <laughs> so it's you know it's it's just kind of it's it's nice to have folks like you bringing it out there. Yeah, I think let, you're going to grab some headlines on this one. I think this is going to really grab Especially a lot of Canada. attention. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh man, kids have been great. Uh, and the, there's uh, the head of Explorers Web, Jerry, Jerry Kabalenko, who's in Canada. He knows a lot about the passage, and and they've been covering it real nicely. And so so it's gotten a little press. So it's pretty. It's been nice. Texas Monthly, you know, Pam LeBlanc just did an article on us. Yeah, yeah. She uh, she tags me in a lot of stuff now. <laughs> oh, that's great! <laughs> she she was the one I saw uh, racing this weekend. They're doing their uh, their uh, training for for uh, the safari. safari in a five person boat. Yeah, yeah, Pam's great. She's got a lot of energy. I mean, she's she is the you know she's actually like she's always writing articles even while she's paddling or something. I mean, she's constantly <laughs> yeah. putting stuff out there. So she's been she's been really great to work with. Yeah, you know, I, like one. I'm sure one day I'll meet her and chat. Actually, chat with her. But um, before we. <laughs> got a couple more things here let's talk about the behind the scenes part yeah who's behind like i mean like you say the expedition like this requires a lot of planning a lot of logistics uh there's got to be a team behind the scenes that while you're out there on the water like you say with your sister calling you every you guys do that talk every day to give you updates uh route planning communications you know coordinating flights to pond inlet and then home from tuk 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 and inuvik uh, press conferences or releases and social media. Who are who? Tell us about your the team behind you. Well, and and you're absolutely right. We we rely heavily upon the team, and luckily I've got a great family that that steps up and not only tolerates me and has been you know pretty much all my life. Then then the, and they've come to expect some things like this. But the, my sister Barbara Eddington is our team manager, and she kind of fell into that role during the Amazon when 
we didn't know we needed one, and then all of a sudden we really needed one. And and uh, so she manages. Uh, she's like an air traffic controller during the expedition. So people, anytime they have to contact us, they contact her. Anytime we have to contact anybody, we contact her, and she kind of manages all this. She only tells us things we need to know and vice versa. I mean, when we when we were held at gunpoint on the Amazon, we didn't tell anybody back home for weeks until, you know, we were safe. And, oh, by the way, a month ago, we were almost killed. Yeah. So. But but uh, we didn't want to worry anybody. But Barbara manages everything here uh, and, and kind of makes sure everything runs well. If there are emergencies, she's our point person. We can call her 24 hours a day if need be. Uh, I mean, Barbara Eddington, I said Hanson. But anyway, and then further down the line, my mom and Hanson, she and all her office staff here at Social Systems, they, they bag up all of our protein powder mix, which is going to be interesting crossing the Canadian border because these are white seal meal products. <laughs> powder <laughs> and we're gonna have 230 of them Uh-oh. and so anyway we'll see how nice the canadians are at that point but um anyway my mom is a huge supporter uh she follows us along everywhere she actually showed up on the amazon uh i, I don't think she'll be showing up in the the arctic but she helps get together our food and, and she's always been great there a guy named joe watson he's been trying to get us some uh uh, research uh, that we could do up there, but most of the research was shut down for COVID, and we really haven't been able to tie in with any other research projects up there with this short amount of time since it's been opened up. But Joe's Joe's been a great supporter. Now, the most recent member of our team is Tom McGuire. Tom is uh, applying to be in the Explorers Club, uh, and, and I'm on the board of the Texas chapter of the Explorers Club. And Tom really stepped up in ways he kind of bugged me for a while and i kind of kept putting him off putting him off he said man i really you really need to work on your website and i just didn't have time for this i'm busy with all these other logistics thing and finally he just kind of insisted look we need to meet you need to do this and i said all right and so he just redid our entire website and he's done some really amazing things with our media that involve a lot of um words and uh, <laughs> a lot of syllables that I don't understand that he just whips off his tongue and finally I just have to tell him to stop talking and just and he he just does this stuff on his own. So Tom is just this amazing tech guy and media guy that knows all of the stuff and he's soon to be a member of the Explorer. He's done so many cool things with LIDAR and everything else, but he's just really kind of a force of, of his own with our website. So anything you see on our website, that's all Tom McGuire. And, and we really appreciate everything he's done. And then my wife, my long-suffering wife, Lizette, she tolerates me. And, and, and we've been married. We're going on 32 years this year. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's just really nice knowing she's there. And it's come to kind of expect some, some things like this out of me. So anyway, those, that's, that's our primary team um, that we rely upon for everything up there. And then we've got some... We're still setting up some guys for our weather and ice conditions. There's a couple of guys up in Cambridge Bay, and I'm talking to uh, Eric Boomer, who's also a really great expedition kayaker up there to, to help some of this stuff up. And as I mentioned earlier, polar explorer Eric Larson's been a big help in a lot of this area too. Being in this community of explorers, it's nice to be able to just call up some people and and ask, hey, you know, should I use buckshot or a you know, a slug in my 12 gauge to stop a polar bear. And there yeah. are people that actually know this stuff. So it's, 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 it's been really heartened to, and humbling to, to have these people behind us. 
it's good to have a good link together team that uh, that can support you because it, you're you're going to be so isolated out there. You're going to have to rely heavily on this team. Yeah, and and that goes with my two teammates on the ground. I mean, are in the water. I mean, it, and and Rebecca's new. We we really don't know Rebecca that much, but we know enough about her that I think her personality is going to gel. And I've I've known Jeff forever, but um, but the home community also and. And, you know, I don't have a personality that's very easy to get along with sometimes, and so it's good to have people that that know that and can tell me that, all right, you need to calm down now, and and or at least can tolerate my tirades at times. So that's been in my kind of odd sense of humor. So it's, it's good to have everybody on board with that. Yeah, when you're on longer trips, everybody's going to have a day. Oh, yeah. And hopefully everybody else knows, you know what, you're having a day, take your time, get over it. And then, you know, hopefully people don't take things personally and everybody just gets on happily the next day sort of thing. Right, exactly. And we get that. And I think, you know, as a team, that's so important. I mean, team cohesion and the ability to work as a team is is, is much more important than ability. And, and And you can really see how that's fallen down in a lot of, you know, historic expeditions like when, you know, Burton and Speak went up to, you know, the Nile to find the headwaters of the Nile. I've just been reading Candace Millard's latest book on that. And they didn't really choose people that they got along with. It was more, well, what, what abilities do they have? And it's the same thing with uh, Antarctic expeditions and things. They, they really did, a, you know, they really went off people's abilities instead of their personalities and ability to get along. I mean, the, 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 uh, the the, the 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 most successful ones are with guys and, and women that that actually got along well and knew how to handle each other and and there wasn't just a boss telling them what to do so that's that's paramount yeah definitely definitely is uh, yeah I, I've been on trips where like you say people are, yeah these guys are great paddler and well that's all he is <laughs> he's a great paddler nobody can stand him <laughs> he can't yeah. he can't cook. He's lazy. He, he doesn't do help dishes. around camp. He <laughs> gets in the paddle and he, he starts paddling. That's all he does. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. And and once again, I mean, I'll I'll take someone that's not as fast as somebody else if if we get along, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's exactly right. Ability is 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 way, is about third or fourth down the list. You need that person that's going to pull your finger. that's that's gonna be our motto (laughs) that's great that's the one we're gonna use (laughs) Uh, so out of everything here what are you looking forward to the most on this expedition oh my gosh i'm so glad you asked that because no one ever asks me that (laughs) that is so nice um honestly it's. I'm looking for the relaxation. I'm. I'm tired. Uh, you know, I, I work a lot. Uh, you know, we recently had a this horrible shooting of these school children in Texas. I'm. I'm pretty. Pretty political minded. Um, and uh, it's. It's. It'll be nice to have some peace and quiet, and to have some focus instead of this constant influx of media and information that we get even if we try to avoid it um so that's one of the nice things up there there's no internet there's no phones ringing uh we just paddle we have a a very singular goal for the day we're going to go across this 
the straight here, and then we're going to eat, and we're going to poo, and then we're going to pull each other's fingers, and then we're going to bed. And, <laughs> and, and it's that simple existence. And every night I journal or call my sister, and and, and then we log the next day. And, and that is just such a wonderful I, – I guess some people would call it a zen mm-hmm. when you're getting to a, a place like that. It usually takes a couple of weeks to kind of get into it. But it's – honestly, that's – that's going to be recharging my batteries. And, and, uh, when you don't have to exercise, you're just doing it as you're living it and eat whatever you want. And, and you just enjoy the company of friends and you get away from this, this stuff. It's a break from the world. Well, it's a break to the world as far as I'm concerned. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Well put. That's awesome. Now, you're going to, uh, hopefully at the end of the day, you're going to do a documentary on this. You're looking to have that released within a couple of years, you think? Well, maybe sooner than that. I've taken a little bit different approach. We uh, Nat Geo didn't pick up their option on the Amazon documentary, so I ended up with all this raw footage that I didn't know what to do, and so I ended up producing the documentary myself. I never want to do that again. <laughs> There's a reason people study this stuff in school. Yes. And so I don't want to do that. And so what I'll do afterwards is, is um, you know, maybe put together uh, uh, some uh, a, a brief trailer, and, and I'll try to sell it to whoever wants to, whomever wants to make a little series out of it, whether it be Nat Geo or Discovery or something with it, and they want to pay for it, then I'll talk to them. Awesome. And I'll let them do all the work. Yeah, here's the footage. Do with it what you will. <laughs> you got it. But I will have it organized. I've learned how to organize it and categorize it. And so I don't just do what I did on the Amazon, which was just, oh, store it on a disc. Who knows what it is? Yeah. No, so I'll, I'll, I'll have it I'll have a little bit better shape this time around. And whenever you uh, do a book, I'll, uh, that'll give me something else to listen to as I'm <laughs> driving back and forth to work. Yeah. I'll definitely write a book. I'm 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 in the middle of a, a book now that's probably going to take several years, but I think I'll be able to write the book on the uh, Northwest Passage pretty quickly. So I'll I'll uh, I'll get that book out a lot quicker than I got the last one out. Cool. So on westhanson.com, you have uh, the Arctic Cowboys. You have a route map. Yeah. Um, if anybody wants to go there, they can get a more in-depth information on that route. Basically, we're, we're taking points from that, uh, and they can see where exactly you're going to be. Now, you were talking about a uh, tracker that people can follow as you go? Yes, we're going to have another map up there. Uh, in fact, we may have it up, hopefully, within the next week or two, just to test it for the Texas Water Safari. Uh, where you can see us in real time. Everybody going to the website will be able to look at us. You know, I think it does five-minute pings. Uh, we'll turn it off when we're stopped, you know, and, and sleeping. But <laughs> otherwise, anybody at any time can just go to our website and see exactly where we are in our in our route. Excellent. And there's arcticcowboys.com is another page people can visit? Yes, and there, if you go to one, you'll be able to find the other. They're all tied together, but... Uh, so the arcticcowboys.com is a good one, or you can go straight to westhanson.com, and it'll you can get to both of them through there. Cool. Tom, as I mentioned, Tom McGuire has done a really great job. I had built the other website, and it was obviously very sophomoric, and Tom's a professional at this, so he makes all of this very easy for everybody to find. That's Everybody needs a friend like that. <laughs> oh, man, he's been, he's been really great. And as soon as this podcast is up, we'll have it on there as well. 
Oh, perfect. You know what? I, every thir- it'll be this Thursday. Yeah, this Thursday morning. Hey. Uh, yeah, and I mean that's we got a buddy like that, or my buddy Kevin, and he's got his own servers in his house. So he says, "Yeah, no, just here, I'll give you space on my server." So you know, saves me cash having to you not having to use one of the uh, <laughs> big services. <laughs> well, and and like the like I said about making the documentary, I mean these are so specialized, and and like I said, Tom knows all this stuff that I could never learn. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just outside of my. My, you know my wheelhouse so it's it's really great to have these guys yeah my buddy kevin starts talking some days and i just look at him and go dude <laughs> my face is talking beer you're not <laughs> uh, he, he and tom would get along really well <laughs> oh let me tell you yeah. uh so before we wrap this up is there anything else you want to add anything you want to say about your trip uh anything at all yeah a couple things and uh we we are we run this uh uh, we're run by a 501c3 nonprofit, and if anybody want, wants to make a donation, no matter how small, we we really, really could use it. And you can go to our website, uh, thearcticcowboys.com or westhanson.com and hit PayPal or contact me through Facebook or something like that, and we'd be more than happy to take a donation. Uh, every little bit helps. Like I said, we had two friends donate just $400 a piece. That paid for our Iridium Go, the, our satellite transponder or satellite communicator. So even those things mean a lot to us, and we really, really appreciate it. Uh, other than that, uh, follow us you know, on Facebook uh, at West Hanson or go to our website. And, and we just like you know people asking us questions if you have anything or you want to know something. Uh, we'll, we usually answer you pretty quick. Awesome. And, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, post links to your sites and everything on our Facebook and uh, all our social media and that so that people can find you there as well. Uh, you're going to have Kevin do it, I have a feeling. Yeah. No, usually the Facebook stuff I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's pretty easy. I've gotten that down to an art form. Yeah. I, when I say I'm going to be posting something, you can be sure it's Tom. It's Tom. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thank you very much, West, for coming on and uh, having this chit-chat. Like I say, people, you know, we, we talk about doing things like this, but we know we'll never – you know, chances are we're never going to do something like this. and uh, Nothing is epic as this. Holy cow. Yeah, it's, it's nice to actually talk to somebody that's actually doing stuff like this rather than just, oh, yeah, there's this guy who did yeah. this trip and and whatnot. So, it's nice, like I say earlier, it's, it's nice to hear it directly from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Well, I really enjoy talking about it. And like I said, I, I really like to bring this down to earth to show people, you know, how you can do it if you really want to. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is within in reach you know, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's doable. Yeah. So we're all going to do it next week. <laughs> you Eat your cheeseburgers. Yeah. Eat your cheeseburgers now, man. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Wes, for coming on this week. And, uh, like I say, all the best, uh, in the Texas water safari and on the Northwest passage where uh, we'll definitely be rooting for you. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Sean. I really appreciate y'all, uh, talking to me. Not a problem. Thank you. Y'all take care now. You as well. All right. Um, that's all I've got this week. That's all I got. All right. This is awesome. If you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream all our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and uh, stream or download our episodes there. 
If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. And that's all I got. I want to thank uh, our guest, uh, West Hanson, for dropping by this week. And thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>